0: Again, I thought we had a good week at uh, annual conference. We usually close annual conference with the reading of the appointment lists or handing out. But as you heard a couple of weeks ago, we announced that our, our appointed clergy are returning for another year. However, when they, when they got to that point of the service, they then passed out some prayer squares for pastors to pray for another church. Now, let me, let me back up and say this. I don't know what it is for whatever vocation God's called you to, whether it's teaching or uh, service industry, whatever business, whatever you've been called to do. But all of us have that town or that place where your business or vocation can can send you that you say anywhere but there. Right? There's a common joke within Mississippi Methodism, and I mean no offense. And we're gonna blot this out, Chris. Don't put this on YouTube. But if, if you mess up, they say, you're going to get sent to Shibuda. Now, I don't know where Shibuda United Methodist Church is. And I don't know what they did in the past that was so awful to a pastor. But that's, I've just heard that for years. You're going to get sent to Shibuda. So anyway, we have about 900 churches in our annual conference. And they handed out prayer squares. And they asked for you to routinely, weekly pray for this church. I got Shibuda. I need you praying for me, and I need—I don't want to leave y'all, and I don't want to. I Both—I don't want to go Shibuto. So, uh, I pray, I appreciate your prayers this year for that church. All right. Some of us may have been out. I know it's been a busy summer, so I do want to rehearse, revisit three quick themes that we're seeing in the Psalms. We saw them all last week. We're going to see them again this week, just consistent ways that God's revealed who he is and who we're to be about. First is this. We're reminding ourselves as we go through this summer in the Psalms that these songs tell us so much about Jesus and about our Our faith. The book of Psalms is quoted more than any other book in the New Testament. Jesus quotes from the Psalms more than any other book of the Old Testament. These words are foundational. These words are life. This is not just the hymn book of the children of Israel. This this is, this is not just wisdom. These words reveal who God is, what He expects from His people. We can be tempted just to read the New Testament. And there's something very right. We're Christocentric. We're Christ centered people. We live in those Gospels. But if you miss the Old Testament, you're going to miss our desperate need for God. You're just going to miss it. If you miss the Old Testament, you're going to, you're going to miss just so much of the redemptive story and plans of God through Christ Jesus. Even up to this point in Psalms, just up to Psalm 24, there's already been 35 prophecies about the coming Christ that he will fulfill. I don't want to miss all that God has for me and for you by just living in the New Testament. We've got to be in the Old Testament as well. When you watch Jesus outwit his opponents, so often, it's not just the Old Testament, it's the Psalms. You watch Jesus, when he's mostly silent before Pilate, but when he opens his mouth and says a word about himself, it's the Psalms. When When he's going against the Pharisees in Holy Week, it's the Psalms. When he teaches, it's the Psalms. So much is revealed about God and his will and his intentions for us, so we can't miss this word. Secondly, another theme we're seeing throughout, I hope, this series is is this incredible contrast between the one living God and those so-called other gods. Every week we're bumping into this battle and this clear uh, division. You go back to the first verses here today when it it talks about uh, creation. Our God is over creation, that he intimately wove life together, as we said a few weeks ago in Psalm 139, but he he purposefully created this world. The other gods of of that time and this time would say, everything we're living in is just an accident. It's a lower vibration of Atman, Brahman, or whoever that is in the sky, and it's all going to go back to him someday and be absorbed in him. And the the psalmist says here very clearly to us, God was not only intentional about creation, but also, if you go to our first verses today in Psalm 24, he created over the seas and the rivers. You and I read that and we go, okay, over the seas and rivers. You read that back in their day? The seas were chaos and there was a battle in paganism over the sea god and, and and the other gods and how everything was formed. No. God is over those things. He is not bound by currents or the sun and the moon or nature. He is the living God. And so when we read the Psalms, we're reminded again, as beautiful as they are, of a stark truth. There is but one God. And he is over all things. And we see that here in Psalm 24. It's not the chaos of the seas. We said this before. Go to Revelation 4, Revelation 15. That sea that the pagans are so scared of, it's like glass in glory he is over creation and he can be over our hearts and our struggles and our worries as well what a picture that is painted for us in these songs in these prayers even in these laments about who God is and he is not like other gods full of power we'll see that yes here in this psalm but also a God of compassion and then lastly, as we look at, at, and you see it here in this passage, what, what's to be our response to this God? And you're seeing a consistent theme. We, we look to these Psalms that they are our prayer life. How many times have you gone to the Psalms to either help give language to your prayers of praise or to your complaints, to your laments? Lord, how long? How long has this got to be? We go to the, to, the, to the Psalms for our prayers. We go to the Psalms for our praise and worship but also these psalms over and over again remind us of how we're to respond to God and the response is, is consistent it's holiness holiness in my life before God holiness in my life with others we saw it last week in Psalm 84 that that the response to be blessed is to be blameless we saw it the week before in Psalm 51 God would you create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me and you see it here here's the question Who can ascend the holy hill? How is it you and I rightly can approach God? Now listen, we celebrate and praise Jesus that that he fulfilled all righteousness and gave himself for us on the cross and through his cross and resurrection and his righteousness, his sacrifice, you and I can now have clean hands and a pure heart. That we don't have to lift ourselves up to falsehood or deceit. But that's the right response because of Christ. Because you and I have been given a place on that holy hill with the Father, you and I, the right response to the living God is one of obedience and holiness. And look at verse 5. It's not just clean, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, don't let us lift our souls to another's. We'll sing in a minute. But there's, And we're going to close with this today. It seems in verse 5, not just is that to be the response, but God's going to gift that to us his very righteousness, it's his desire to gift that to his people, to not let us stay and remain in our stuff, in our sins, in our our past patterns, that we can actually be free and live the lives that he's called us to live. Okay, so this morning, two points this morning. What is it we see here about who God is and what he desires for us? What we're, what we're seeing, and this is a side point, and maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but what we're seeing consistently in the Psalms, and it's a good reminder for us, is this reminder that the Word is foundational. The Word of God is authoritative. And you're seeing that just as we make this connection as, as, the, as the New Testament writers do at least 130 to 150 times. They're pulling back from the book of Psalms and saying, here's what God has revealed. Here's what God has said. And so it's right for the people of God, New Testament people, people of the Spirit, to look back and say, whatever he said then, that's a part of my life as well. That's foundational to my life. That has a word in my life. That's what Paul does. You're going to see him do it see him do it throughout the book of Romans. You're going to see him do it throughout the book of First Corinthians. But for this passage, when he's talking to the Corinthians about all their stuff, but one of their issues, you can go back to 1 Corinthians 10 later. I won't go through that whole argument with you this morning. But as he's making his argument, he goes back to Psalm 24. He doesn't just give you his thoughts or what the Holy Spirit's impressing him to say. He says, this is what God has clearly said in his word. If you you later go back to 1 Corinthians 10, 25, yes, eat anything that's sold in the market without asking question for conscience sake. But here's why you can do it, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Now listen, there are times where Paul will tell you and he'll admit it, hey, here's what I'm thinking. This is my opinion on a matter. There are times when you hear Paul quote other thinkers, and listen. You and I need to, as our forefather John Wesley said, read everybody. To I had my college, and I say this all the time, but my college minister once told me, if you're not a reading Christian, you're probably not a growing Christian. He wasn't talking about the Bible. He was saying read the church fathers and the church mothers, read what men and women of God are saying about how we interpret the scriptures. We have to be. Reading Christian—that's important. You and I have to. We'll talk about this in a minute. Have to seek godly counsel from one another. Okay, so don't don't mishear me uh, on that. But Christian bookstores and preachers as well were full of advice and opinions, uh, and I and I hope they're helpful, and I and I pray that they're godly. But what we're seeing in Paul's life as he looks back to the Psalms over and over again is a reminder what we need, what has authority in every decision we make. Can we eat this or not? What did God say in his word? I shared this with a chapel service a few weeks, about a couple of months ago at Wesley Biblical Seminary, so it's been on my mind. But I I had been invited by my students when I was a student pastor at Batesville to go to... uh, the North State Championships, I think they were held in Cleveland. And so I was leaving Batesville to drive to Cleveland. It was terrible weather, and uh, I didn't think I'd have cell service, so I called before I left, and I, and I called him. I said, hey, I know it's tornado watches or warnings. You guys are already over there for the tournament. Is the weather good? And the parents said, yeah, come on over. And I said, okay, I'll come on over. And I kind of looked at what the weather was saying. It was bad, but I'm a dude. <laughs> What's a dude going to do? He's going to get in a car, and he's going to go watch basketball. So I got in my car, and I went. I think when I got to Clarksdale, maybe, that's when the, I noticed the power lines were down and in the road. I thought, yeah, I got this. So I just drove around those, and I kept going. You know, maybe a little bit 10 miles beyond that, uh, when the 18-wheeler was on its side, maybe that was a sign from God. It was laid over on its side. Maybe I should get out of this storm. Man, you'd be proud to know I just went around that. And I kept going. And uh, it was only till I think it was a constable. I don't think it was a highway patrol, but a constable pulled me over, screaming. You could just see him shouting, get over. And so we pulled over and we dove into a 7-Eleven. Listen, those are wonderful places of business, but I, I might have prayed, I don't want to die at a 7-Eleven. I just don't want <laughs> to. I don't want to go here. I want to see you, but I don't want to see you from here. When the one who had authority came alongside and said, get over, that's when I got over. And, and that has to be our testimony as well. That it is what God has revealed. Not just the Word. This is God's revealing Word. This is the foundation of how I make decisions. This is the foundation of how we decide who we are as a people and how we'll live and how we'll respond. Other people, voices, yes, we need that. Reading Christians, yes, we need it. Paul says, let me tell you what was revealed in Psalm 24 as we talk about this issue, about what you can and can't eat. And listen, we do need to be careful with young believers. I've talked about stumbling blocks here and in Romans, but let me call up God's Word, Psalm 24, to make that decision. It's always got to be the Word. And listen, this is preachy to me, and maybe it's, maybe it's preachy to you, but as I look back on my life, especially in our early days of parenting, when you're grasping at straws, it's right to talk to mom and dad or to talk to other couples and saying, what are you doing to get them asleep? I mean to grow them in the Lord. <laughs> what are you doing to grow them in the Lord? I probably wasn't as versed as I should have been. What does the Word say about parenting? What does the Word say? It's what Corey, Renee, Ben and I, Linda, we, Steve, we'd all love to talk with what we found in the Word. If you need help in that or need resources in that. What, is, what does God reveal about that? Are you reading the stories of parents who struggled and seeing what God has for us that we want to, 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 to hold on to? As I just think, and I know this is preachy stuff, but I just think, is what I believe about God, is, is my doctrine first and foremost the Word? Now listen, I'm going to listen to If I'm a Wesleyan, if I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm going to listen to what the church has always said, everywhere and at all times. Yes, that helps form my faith. But am I finding it in the Word? We are bombarded by this culture about what to believe about. You just name it. How to do marriage, how to date, how to this, how to that. What does the Word say? What does the Word say? Is that first, does that have authority? in church whatever it says whatever model i see listen i'm just i'm a guy i've told you before my struggle i'm an introvert and i'm a guy and so i have trouble with other guys speaking into my life but that's the pattern in acts it's the pattern in the old testament Naomi Ruth Jonathan David with Samuel as well as Nathan he just he needed all kinds of people in his life that's the pattern and i can't say well it just doesn't fit me no I'm going to be in a small group in a Sunday school, have a mentor, be a mentor, because that's the picture and pattern in Scripture. And I didn't do it for years. I love Jesus. I served. I was a youth pastor. But I didn't have people speaking into my life. But you get into the Word, and you can't, you can't miss it. We've got to have people speaking in our lives, and we've got to be mentoring others. Um, whatever whatever this Word says, how is it you and I are committed to its authority. Listen, you, you've, there are many ways we can grow. We tried to provide opportunities through Sunday schools, special Sunday schools today, small groups. If you need a small group, Ben would love to talk with you about that. Special Bible studies through our women's group. Um, some of you have seen this week, we're reminding you again about the Wesley Institute. When I was at, uh, look, we can never stop learning our Bible. I'd, I met Sarah at Twin Lakes And uh, I just remember, I was like, I think at that point, the only Methodist on the whole staff. It's First Pres of Jackson, their camp. And I remember one time being so proud that the leader at one of our first devotionals said, all right, everybody, real quick, let's turn to the book of Hezekiah. I didn't touch my Bible. It's not a book of the Bible. A couple of those reformed kids were looking in the table of contents (laughs) for the... But uh, we had 17 people go through Wesley Institute last year. This is another avenue we want to encourage you to think about. Uh, Sarah and I are praying about it. I think we're going to do that, um, to go through the 66 books. Are you tight on the Gospel of John? Yeah. What about 3rd John? Is there a 3rd John? There is. And I want to know the whole counsel of Scripture. It's better and keep growing. And so here's this reminder again, just looking at Paul and others who have, and Jesus who have pulled from the Psalms, this reminder again how critical it is uh, for you and I to know the whole counsel of God and to let it have authority in our lives. Last thing, and it's a good word, going down to verse 7. You and I have seen, and you see it here, you're going to see these verses about verse 8. The king is strongly and mighty, and he, and, 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 and and we, we've seen his power. We talked about it last week and a couple of weeks ago. But I love this verse 7. This speaking of the king of glory, that he wants to come in. And I think that's, that's the reminder, uh, going back to that verse. I think he wants to gift you his righteousness. And this is how he does it. The king of glory comes to you. Most scholars, not all, but most scholars think that this psalm is written. Again, we talked about backgrounds. The background for this psalm, they think, is when David. And I'll go let you go look up that fun story of when David brings the ark back to Jerusalem. At that point, it's his son who will build the temple. But at that point, it's the tent, right in Jerusalem. He brings the ark back. The ark, the very presence and glory of God, brought back to the holy hill of God. Uh, bring. The ark back, but it's a, it's a celebration of that, a processional hymn as they do that. But going to verse 7, that's, that's been the hope and the plan of the redemptive story of God all along. I want to come back to you. I want to be present with you. Would you let the king of glory in? Now listen, we can be tempted as they were. That ark, every time I rightly put that out front, I can use it for his power. I'm always going to win. I want the stuff. Lord, give me the blessing. Bless my kids. Bless my work. Work for me. And here's this reminder again. Every year they would actually go to this psalm, we're told, in the New Year festivals. They began their year. May the King of glory be with us. May his presence be with us, singing this psalm. But I like what Christians do. do. you know when Christians typically read this psalm? What particular day of worship? I didn't know. I figured it would have been Palm Sunday, right? The king of all kings rode in and, and, and entered Holy Week, and, and here he is to give his life, the king of glory. This is what glory looks like. Right on a colt, and I die on a cross. Ascension Day, just a few days before Pentecost. Why would it be Ascension Day you read this psalm? Just like the ark has come home on Ascension Day when Christ went to be with his Father, what he has done for us as we sang this morning, I'm so glad so glad that Lori's so wise in in her leading of worship. Uh, He yielded his life an atonement for sin. We sang that this morning. And he had completed that work. And that work opened the life gate that all may come in. All may go in. That's the desire of God, not just to cover our sin, to atone for it, but to have right and full relationship with his people. The King of Glory wants to come in. And so it's right that the church for years celebrates Ascension Sunday, we sing the King of Glory, and then just a few days later, it's Acts 2, and it's Pentecost. When Jesus, having completed his work and gone to his Father, then he and his Father can send to us that gift of righteousness, the very presence and person of the third person of the Trinity. I'd never thought of this before, but I heard a sermon a couple of weeks ago by Bill Urey. He's, He's preached for us a few times. And he said, look at the disciples' life after Jesus rose from the dead. Is it marked by victory? You ever notice that? Those 40... 50 days before Pentecost, you ever notice? The disciples at some point, you remember the stories, went out. They were given authority by Jesus to cast out demons, which they did, and to heal the sick, which they did, and they preached, which they did. Did they do any of that after Jesus rose from the dead? You don't see any of that. Do you see any great teachings in the life? You don't see any of that. Do they love one another? Because holiness is not just being blameless before God, but having right relationships with one another. Did they love each other well? John's gospel's got Peter throwing one of the disciples under the bus post resurrection. What's going to happen to that guy? What, uh, what are they doing to reach people on the margins? They fought Jesus on that. Why would you help a woman at a well? Why would you go to Samaria? What are we doing up here at Caesarea Philippi? Do you see them after resurrection doing that kind of ministry? You don't. When do they do it? When do they love others well? When do they reach people on the margins who need Jesus? When do they have the power of God? It's Pentecost. When the King of Glory fully comes into the church. And here's that that reminder in Psalm 24. This has always been the will and hope of God. The king of glory come in and receive his glory, yes. Jesus has been glorified, yes. But it's always been his hope to be, as we are now, the tent or the tabernacle or the temple of God, the sanctuary of God. His desire is always to come in. Not just to clean and to do for, but to come in. How is it this morning? You and I need to respond to this word. To give praise to the one who is over all creation and has all power. To acknowledge that and humble ourselves, yes. How do you need to do that this morning? How do you and I need to commit our hearts and our lives that we're gonna be and respond rightly in holiness? Where's that place in your life? Do you need to yield that today? That I'm not responding rightly to the one who gave all for me? How is it you and I need to, to do that work in the word and, and to make sure whatever part of our lives that we're missing his word what does his word say about work what does his word say about recreation what does his word say, whatever that may be but then also to, to to open ourselves and to believe that the king of glory yes wants to be with us to to even bless us with his righteousness and that's my prayer this morning that that would be our response as we sing our our closing hymn to sing those words let our generation be the generation that seeks the face of God, the God of, of Jacob, that we'd have clean hands, we'd have pure hearts, there'd be no falsehood or deceit, yes, but also that would know your fullness and your presence. That's what he desires for us. Those words are printed for us in our bulletin. Let's stand together as we...